but we want to give a, a big applause and big welcome to Bobby. God bless you, Thank you so much. God bless you. Good morning. The Bible said, this is the day the Lord has made. I'll do what? Rejoice and be glad in it. Say that with me. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Notice I put a little bit of emphasis on it. You know why? All the money in the whole wide world, if you compile it all together, you could not buy back one single second of yesterday. It's gone. It's history. It'll never be repeated. And if you know the Bible, the Bible says, boast not of yourself of tomorrow. You have no comprehension what one day will bring. So this is the day the Lord has made. We need to learn how to maximize the moment, live in the now, because a lot of people are thinking, well, somewhere out there, the whole earth is going to be filled with the glory of God. That's true, but we need to see God move today. And so uh, this is a good day. It is Psalms 118. This is the day the Lord has made. Yes, it is. Oh, the baby's back doing good. Beautiful baby. Did you all have a nice night? Oh, I had a wonderful night. Thank the Lord. Uh, we, love, we love the countryside and the, uh, just uh, really nice. So uh, we got a message for you, and I want to talk to you about times, seasons, purposes, and activities. That's what it says. Ecclesiastes, say that, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. It says, there is a time and a season and a purpose for every activity of God under heaven. So what we're going to zero in on today, we're going to talk about times, seasons, purposes, and activities of God. Let's find out what time it is, what season are we living in, and to what purpose should we be giving ourselves, because what does God want to do during these days? And I think any of us that are watching global events un, 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 unfurl, we understand we're in some very unusual times. Never been a time like this. Uh, the Bible says in the last days... There'll be chaotic times, perilous times, times when there's great upheaval in the earth. Is that going on right now? It says this in the Bible, nations are one ethnic group, is what it actually says in the, the, the Greek. One ethnic group shall rise up against another ethnic group. Is that going on? So these are signs of the times. And so we need to understand the signs, don't we? Uh, it really is the truth. So we're delighted that you're here. I found somebody's books on the on the front seat. So I was going to sign when my fountain pen was leaking. So it looks like I've been mugged and fingerprinted here. I hope you'll get these books. I honest to God do. Here's a book called uh, uh, Heaven's Host, The Assignment of Angels, Both Faithful and Fallen. Here's what the Lord told me. He said, Bobby, I want you to write a book about angels. So I thought I'll start researching. I was shocked how little there is in the body of Christ concerning angels. There's a lot in the New Age that talks about it, some weird way out stuff. But the Bible is filled from cover to cover with the actions of angels. Angels are sent down to serve us. It says they're ministering spirits sent down to aid us who are heirs of salvation. They're here to help us, and let me tell you, we need them. We need them because, listen, we're in the end time. Revelation 12, 12 says the devil's come down. And he's fighting mad because he understands he's got a small window to work in. So he's releasing hordes of hell. His, as the days of Noah were, remember that? Genesis 6, as the days of Noah were, so shall also the days of the coming of the Son of Man be. And so we're in a time when the devil's releasing all of the fortresses of hell. But God is releasing to us angels. And I'll tell you what, uh, I hope that you really do believe in angels. I told you earlier they were mentioned 273 times in the Bible. 
And I'm telling you, they're here to help us. Psalms 91, 11 says, And the angels of God will encamp around about those that trust God. And it says you can see them. Now, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 16 and 17 is a story about when some enemy armies came after the prophet of God and they camped all around just just tons of soldiers, just, just enormous armies camped around to get this one prophet. And the prophet's servant gets up early in the morning, and I guess he's trying to make breakfast or whatever. And he looks and he sees the armies all around him, and boy, he is filled with uh, uh, excitement and fear. And he says, get up! Oh, they're all around us! And the prophet gets up and he goes, mm, uh, don't worry. There's more to be with us than be with them. And I get the, I, I'm sure the young prophet was pretty smart. He goes, one, two. And then he goes, 10,000, 32,000, 46,000. And then here's what happened. Second Kings 6, 16, 17, the older prophet said, Lord, would you open his eyes and let him see? And then he saw the whole heavens fill with the host of heaven. And I'm telling you guys, they're for us today. Just like they were then, they're for us today. So I want you to get the book on angels. And then we've got one, one about uh, empowered about being empowered and equipped for the day we're living in. Here's a great verse, Ephesians 2.10. Now, every Southern Baptist I know can quote, I'm a Southern Baptist pastor, and every Southern Baptist pastor I know can quote Ephesians 2.8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's a great verse, isn't it? But very few Southern Baptists I know have quote Ephesians 2.10. It says, we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God before ordained that we conduct ourselves in them. So I studied that in every English translation of the Bible I could find, Ephesians 2.10. And one, one translation says, you're the best God could do to display who he is. I'm talking about you. You're the be- one of them says, you're, you're his stroke of genius to display his God deeds. It's all in that little word, workmanship. When Paul penned the word, we're his workmanship. It's a Greek word that means the final stroke of a master artist. That's who you are. You're the, fine, you're the best God could do to top off his work. See, the devil's always going, who do you think you are? Well, you're the best God could do. Isn't that cool? I like that. So we need to find out more about who we are. So that book on empowerment tells us who we are. You, you Pastor read the verse earlier. It is God that has qualified us and not we ourselves. It is he that has made us fit ministers. He's the one did the choosing. We didn't choose him. We're in this race because he called us. You did not choose me. I chose you. I ordained you. So anyway, it's God's doing, not ours. And so what we need to do is to learn how God wants to move in us and through us and out of us. And so every one of us that are born again have the Holy Spirit. But the problem is, does the Holy Spirit have us? I want the Holy Spirit to have us, don't you? It's one thing to have him, but it's another thing to let him live out of us. Don't you want to let him live out of us? I do. Acts 1.8, you shall receive what? Power when after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Did you know there's not one single miracle recorded in the New Testament that Jesus did until he was filled with the Holy Spirit? Not one single miracle in the New Testament that Jesus did until he was filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know where we get this thing, the Holy Spirit is an add-on to Christianity. Romans 8, did you read that? Romans 8, 9 through 11 says, If the Spirit that raised up Christ Jesus from the dead dwell not in you, you are none of his. Wow, we need the Holy Ghost, don't we? A lot of people think Holy Ghost shows up in Acts 2.1. Holy Ghost shows up in Genesis 1.2. And he's functioning and flowing throughout the whole Bible. Well, anyway, will you get the books? Yes, I hope so. Here, th- these were on the table when I got here. All right. Well, good morning. I noticed I have a, a cake here in the front. 
I think it's the I have not opened it yet, but I'm quite sure it is. All right. Well, here's what I want to talk to you about, time, season, purposes, and activities of God. So I don't want to hear a lot of harebrained ideas. You know, uh, I don't know if you've been in this thing very long, but every once in a while somebody will predict when the world's going to end. 18, uh, you know, 1988, remember 88 reasons why this is the year Jesus is coming. And then they go, well, whoops, missed it, you know. It says, no man knows the hour, not even the angels in heaven, but only our Father. But I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what Jesus is going to do. He'll show us times, signs, signs that point to the seasons that we're in. So if we're going to get our information, let's, let's get it from somebody that knows what they're talking about, Jesus. One of the number one businesses in America right now, and it's, it's very sad, is the $1,900 psychic. I, I tell you, you can't get help from a psychic. You can get a demon, but you won't get any deliverance and help. This is true. Now, psychics try to tell you, what the future holds. Prophets tell you who holds the future. World of difference. You understand that? World of difference. And so psychics, they don't, I'll tell you who tells, I'll tell you who will tell you the future, the Holy Ghost. It says in John 16, 13, he will tell you what's coming in the future. That's what it says. The Holy Ghost will tell you what's going to happen in the future. So if we're going to get our answers, let's get our answers from somebody that knows. So Matthew 24, starting with verse 1. The disciples in Jesus Christ come out of the temple. And as they're journeying out of the temple, the disciples say, this is Matthew 24, 1 and 2, the disciples say to Jesus, Oh, sir, would you look and see what man has done? They turn to show him the beauty of the temple. And so Jesus says to the boys, mm, Your focus is on the wrong thing. Don't look at all this. There will not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. This is the first thing we need to realize. One of the signs of the times that we're in the last days is man is out of focus on real reality. Man is out of focus on real reality. They were focusing on the temporal work of man's hands. And so Jesus says, don't look at all of these. They'll not be left one stone upon another. So the disciples basically go, whoops. So it says in Matthew 24, later when they're out in the Mount of Olives, they come to Jesus privately and said to him, Master, would you do something for us? Would you tell us the answer to these two questions? What shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? Now, I don't know about you, but those are two very important questions. What will it be like? What will be the social environment right before you come? And how will it be at the end of the world? And then Jesus Christ, beginning with that statement, all the way through Matthew 24, he answers their question. How will it be at the end of the world? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of time? So, here's what he says, first of all. Number one, many false Christs shall arise and deceive many. Number one sign. Many false Christs shall arise and deceive many. Number one sign, we're in the last days, great deception concerning true salvation. Are we there? Oh, goodness. You need to, I hope you don't listen to all this being preached. There's people preaching, it does not matter what you believe. We're all striving to go to the same place. I'm not going where a Hindu's going. I'm not going where a Buddhist is going. I'm not going where a Muslim's going. We're going to heaven. And then there's people go, well, you know, we're very tolerable. All of us are going to the same. No, we're not all going to the same place. Acts 4, 
12 says, Neither is there salvation, Acts 4, 12, neither is there salvation in any other. There is none other name given among men whereby you must be saved. Jesus is the only way. You believe that? He's the most dogmatic. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. But see, in this time when we want to be politically correct, we don't want to be offensive and abrasive to anybody. Hey, listen, listen. I'd rather be more concerned about being biblically accurate than being politically correct. Our number one goal is to be biblically accurate. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that continues to proceed from God. We better be sure that we're preaching the Word of God. And the Word of God tells us there's only salvation in one resource, and it's Christ. So that, that's, that's very important. Many false Christ shall arise and see men. And so he begins to answer the questions. He said, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. All of us know that's true. Boy, it seems like the whole world is unraveling. There's wars everywhere you look, isn't it? Yeah, conflicts. I, I, I used to have the numbers down. The, the number of several thousand wars raging at one time. You, you hear some of them, we've grown almost accustomed to them. But I'll tell you, wars, rumors of wars. It says there'll be earthquakes in different places. These guys that study those events, they say there's more frequent earthquakes now than ever in the history of humanity. And that's one of the signs of the times. And it says there'll be plagues. Uh, now, we've got all kind of research. We've got all kind of scientists working night and day trying to come up with vaccines and all this because they understand plagues are on the horizon. Plagues that are unstoppable, well, they're, they're with, with the mind of man, they're unstoppable. You and I have power to bind them. That's true. I'm telling you, a thousand fall here, ten thousand there, but it won't come near you. You understand that? You better put Psalms 27 in, in your heart. Lord told me, he said, tell my people if they want to survive, they'll survive out of Psalms 27. Psalms 27, those 14 verses will be life to you. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked come up to eat up my flesh, they stumble and fall. Guys, we, the Lord said, if the people of God are going to survive, they'll survive out of Psalms 27, 1 through 14. I want to survive, don't you? I don't want to just survive. I want to be victorious. I'm in this thing to come out on top. That's, don't you? You know, listen. I've heard people say like this. Even coaches, they say, well, it doesn't matter whether you win or lose. Hey, you're not on my team. I've never got on anything to lose. If you're not in it to win it, get out of it. You know what I mean? Well, you know, no, no, listen, we're supposed to be the head, not the tail. We're supposed to be above only and not beneath. It says if you've lost your Savior, you're good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the feet of people. Some Christians have lost their ability to infect and, and produce. You believe that? If the salt is lost, it says you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, it is good for nothing. I do not want to be a good for nothing Christian. Do you? No, I want to be functioning as salt and light. What does salt do? See, the, they tell us the oceans are made up of what? Great amounts of salt. Why? It purifies. We couldn't live in this atmosphere if it wasn't for the purifying effect of the salt. See, that's the same way it is in the spiritual realm. You could not exist in these days if Christians quit functioning as salt. We hold a balance in here. Do you understand that? Yes, sir. Well, everybody okay. Good to see you. So signs of the times, uh, perilous times. It says 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 through 6. Paul gives us some insights. He said, know this, in the last days there's critical, crucial times. And he calls them perilous times. 
And it begins to give a kind of a social rundown of the affairs that will be ruling in the hearts of men. It says they'll be lovers of money, self-centered. They'll be very weird with their affections. Are we there now? Men marrying men, women marrying women. I don't know where, and the church applauding and condoning. Listen, I think, I think it's, I don't think you can find any such thing as a practice in Christian homosexuals. Did you read Romans? God gave them up. Did you read Genesis? The fire of God fell on what city? Sodom and Gomorrah. Paul said what happened to them was a lesson for us. But we're in a time when people go, oh, well, listen, you know, we've kind of moved socially uh, up the ladder. No, no. I'll tell you what's happened in America, my own dear nation. Our head leaders are applauding what God condemns. The President of the United States began to applaud same-sex marriage. Listen, guys, that puts curses on us. Our problem in America is we are under the judgment of God because of Isaiah 5.20. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe, W-O-E. When you find W-O-E in your Bible, it means God's pronounced judgment. W-O-E, Isaiah 5.20. Woe unto the nation that finds it easy to call good evil and evil good. Woe unto the nation that substitutes darkness for light, bitter for sweet. We're there, aren't we? So people ask me, they ask me all over the world, do you think the fires, the storms, the earthquakes are God's judgment? Yes. And they're going to intensify. There's another reason America's under judgment. We've distanced ourselves from Israel. Same thing will happen to you. Our number one cause and call right now is to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. God will bless you if you'll bless them. You turn your back on them, he'll turn his back on us. The worst, worst judgment any nation can face is when God begins to remove his hand of protection. That's what's happening in our nation. But I'll tell you what, there's a remnant. There's a group of God's people calling the people of God back. And that's the only hope, isn't it? The only hope. Here it is. I get to go to these think tanks where world leaders come and they dialogue about what's going to get us out of the dilemma we find ourselves in. Nothing! We are beyond human help. It's Second Chronicles. Say it. Second Chronicles. Chapter 20, verse 12. Second Chronicles, chapter 20, verse 12. Jehoshaphat and it's the people of God. They're surrounded by numerous armies and there's no way in the world they can defeat them. And it says... Second Chronicles 20.12 Neither know we what to do against this great multitude that's come up against us, but our eyes are on you. And it says Jehoshaphat called a fast. He called a prayer meeting. He invited the warriors, the women, the children, and even those that suck the breast to come to the prayer meeting. You know why? What they're facing is going to affect every segment of society. Just like with us. And boy, they start crying out. They start crying out, oh, oh, God, we don't know what to do. Nothing we can plan works. And it says, in that moment of desperation, the Spirit of God fell upon a prophet. Second Chronicles 20, 12, 13, 14. And it says, the Holy Ghost spoke to the prophet and said, boy, he said something brand new. Remember I read to you last night how God brings a new thing to town? He brings a prophet in, prophet prophesies what's going to happen. 
Never in the history of humanity had there been something unfurling like it does. Second Chronicles 20, 12, 13, 14, 15. This prophet says, listen to me, king, political leader. Listen to me, all you people of God. Here's what you're going to do. Yes, the enemy's coming. Go up and confront him. But don't send out the soldiers. Send out the singers. I'd have go, second opinion. Wouldn't you? Never in the history of humanity had there been a war fought like this. But God likes to demonstrate himself in new things. Behold, I do a new thing. It's new now. Not Send out the singers. Don't send out the soldiers. So here they come. The enemy's there. Undefeatable enemy. So they send out the singers. And the singers go out praising God, lauding God, bragging on God. And it says in your Bible, God set an ambushment. I've looked at every Hebrew word I can find about ambushment. I don't know what it means, but they work. Yeah, it says the enemy went nuts, drew out their swords, killed one another, then killed themselves. Yeah. God's people never broke a sweat. Our God is an awesome God. Whoop, whoop. You know, they, God's people never broke a sweat. Took them three days to pick up the spoils. See, guys, God likes to do new things when we get to the our wit's end. Now, whether you believe it or not, God will start a storm big enough and bad enough to get you to the place of desperation. For two decades now, the Holy Spirit has been fanning within the hearts of God's people the flame of discontentment so that you won't settle for less than God wants to give you. What you feel is a divine disturbance. You know that? Well, it's the truth. So, signs of the times. They're all around us. Perilous times. Second Timothy 3. Three, five through six, and it gives a whole segment of society: uh, inordinate affections, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. You know, it's so sad. We always think about, oh, we we're giving to missions. America spends five more, five times more on dog food than we do world missions. Something's wrong with that. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. You show what we give to God, then you show what we spend on personal pleasure. Pretty crazy, isn't it? See, God keeps a record of all this. But I'll I tell you what, I do appreciate this. I get to go all over the earth. I love the generosity of God's people. God's people are really, really generous. You believe that? That's really true. They, they, that, that's one of the ways you know that God has a hold of your heart. See, everybody wants to be a New Testament church till it really comes to functioning. I want to be a New Testament church. Hallelujah. Now, the early church said they brought everything they had, laid at the apostles' feet, and said, whatever is mine is yours. I've never seen that yet in the New Testament church. It says no man counted what he had as his own, but they all brought it and laid it at the apostles' feet and had a common treasure. Show me a church functions like that. That's New Testament Christianity. Yeah. See, we can hoot and holler, but then, then when it comes to really living what it says, we go, whoa, wait, wait a minute. Just hold on here a minute. I work hard for my money. Neither counted any man what he had as his own, but they brought it and laid it common in the treasury. That's what it says, isn't it? You see, I, I, you, you go, well, what if they're not responsible? Ah, God deals with that. Ask Ananias and Sapphira. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? Now, I don't know. You know, there's people teaching now, after the cross, no judgments. You're crazy. Ananias and Sapphira missed the memo, didn't they? Well, is Acts after the cross? Yes. What happened to Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts? 
They died where? House of God. Why? Deception about their devotion to God. Remember they, they were acting like they sold everything, gave it to God because they wanted to applaud the people and fell over dead in the house of God. Wow. God will kill you. Yeah. Really true. Well, we're talking about signs of the times. What are we going to do in these last days? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to shape up, really become the warriors of God. Here's, here's what we're going to do, seeing that we're in the last days. We're going to do Romans 13, Romans 13, 11. Romans 13, 11 says, knowing, I'll read it to you. Say, do that, Bobby. <laughs> yeah. Romans 13, 11, that knowing the hour, that it's such a critical hour. Let me find it. Romans 13, 11, that knowing the time. Okay, Romans. Romans 13, 11. Besides this, you know what a critical hour this is. How it is high time now for you to wake up out of your sleep, rouse to reality for salvation. Final deliverance is nearer to us now than when we first believed, adhered to, trusted in Christ the Messiah. So it's time to wake up, rouse to reality. Number 12, Romans 13, 12. Not only are we to wake up, we're to stand up and dress up. Look what it says. The night is far gone. The day is almost here. Let us then drop, fling away from us the works and the deeds of darkness and put on the full armor of light. Verse 13. Let us live and conduct ourselves honorably, becomingly as in the open light of day, not in reveling, carousing, drunkenness, in immorality and debauchery. All of this is not what a Christian should be doing. Look what it says in verse 14. But clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and make no provision for the indulging of the flesh. And stop, put a stop to thinking about the evil cravings of your physical nature to gratify its sensual desires. It says, wake up, stand up, straighten up, speak up, begin to live like you're a child of God. It's a shame how some people that claim to be Christians live. Now, I've studied the Bible a long time. As far as I can determine in the Bible, there's only one sure way you can know for absolutely dead certain you're a child of God. I don't know about you, but I'm interested in what I'm about to tell you. I've studied the Bible a long time. I've only found one way for sure you can be dead sure, spot on, you're a child of God. You might say, well, huh. I don't guess you know the gifts I have. You can have gifts and still go straight to hell. Judas did. Judas had part in Lot in the ministry. I dare you to figure that out. It means he functioned and flowed just like the rest of them. Matthew 7, there's this guy who says, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. In your name, we've done many wonderful works. And Jesus said, sorry. Depart from me, worker of iniquity. I never knew you. So deeds is not enough. We're not redeemed by things we do, but by what he did. As far as I can tell, here's the only way you know for sure you're saved. You ready? God corrects you when you sin. If you can habitually sin and get by with it, you have never been born again. I know people that can boast about the immorality in their life. Well, I'm a Christian. Look, 
I can sleep with somebody else's wife. Not habitually. The Bible said if you be without correction and chastisement, every son he receives, he does what? He chastens and corrects. If you be without correction, you're illegitimate. You have no birth papers. The best way you know you're saved is God will deal with you when you sin. If you can habitually just sin without any remorse, you have never been born again. Now, you can sin so often you can get so far away from God, you're blind and insensitive and forgot that you were once purged from your sins. You better thank God that the Holy Ghost will trouble you over sin. If He doesn't trouble you, something's desperately wrong. Psalmist said it this way, It is good for me that I be afflicted. Before I was afflicted, I drifted astray. Will God chasten you and correct you? Even to the point of snuffing you, taking you alive. Well, anyway. Oh, yeah, the Lord told me one time, my wife said, tell them about repentance. One time the Lord came to me and said, if you'll, rep if you'll preach repentance like I mean it, you'll see more people do it. If you will preach repentance like I mean it, you'll see more people do it. So I said, okay. He said, take the word repent. Re, R-E. Re means to what? If I knocked over this bread and I picked it back up and set it there, I replaced it, didn't I? Re means to put back. Now, if I go into a city and they put me and my wife in the highest floor of the hotel, what, what place is that? Penthouse. Penta, highest place. So what does God mean when he says repent? He wants to pick us up from where we've fallen and put us back to the highest place. This, that's what he wants to do. Pick us up and put us back to the highest place. Example, prodigal son. Wasted it all, blew it in sinful, sick living. Then he comes to himself. Oh, thank God we're in a season of people coming to themselves. Waking up out of a slumber, rousing to reality, going, Oh my God, I foolishly lived. He said he came to himself. Can't you see him when he left? He left arrogant, self-concerned. Give me what's mine. I don't like how your running business is. He took his leave from his father's house, didn't he? Arrogant. Oh, man. Probably bought him a race car or something like that. A lot of drugs. Just live like, you know, just carousing. Remember that? Spend it all. See, you got a lot of friends when you're loose with your money. Then he says nobody would give to him after he ran out of money. He's a castaway. Now he finds himself feeding pigs. Any Jew would know how degrading that is. Feeding pigs. And he said he would have eaten the pig slop, but that was not even provided for him. Wow. Do you see there's a high cost for living low? Now he's in the pig pen, and then it says he came to himself. He just woke up. He says, my God, servants in my father's house have a better lifestyle than I have. And he said, I'm getting up and I'm going back. Repentance. Broken heart. Contrite over the situation. I'm going back to my father's house. And he gets up and starts back. Remember that? He says, and while he was yet a great way off, the father what? Saw him. We got a loving daddy longing for his kids to come home. And he said the father ran. And he didn't go, good God, boy. Woo, clean up. No, he said he fell on his neck and stopped. What? Started kissing him and saying to the servants, get a robe, get a ring. This is him. This is my son that was dead, but he's alive again. So he reinstated him back, didn't he? 
Aren't you? I'll tell you what. Psalms 40 says, verse 1, I waited patiently upon the Lord. He inclined unto me, heard my cry. He brought me up out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a solid rock. See, God will pick you up no matter how far you fall. And he'll reinstate. You believe that? Thank God for that. His mercies are new what? Hey, every morning, great is his faithfulness. Well, I scream a lot, but it's just fun. Why whisper when you can scream? That's right. I, everything I do, I just do full bore. Just, just you know, I like that, don't, don't you? I don't, I don't like somebody that's not enthused about what they do. And I went to church again. Some glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away. Good God, does that sound victorious? No, listen, I don't want to. Listen, we need to be more vivacious. We ought to be so happy people wonder, what are they on? Psalm 1611, it says in his presence is what? Fullness of joy. At his right hand are what? Pleasures forevermore. Learn to enjoy Jesus. Pastor talked about it in, in, in a while ago. It says that Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness far above all his brothers. And he, so he, he, go, he goes wild over you. That's right. Just absolutely. He, he's uncontainable when he puts his eyes on you. That's it. That's true. He said, oh, turn your face away. One glimpse of your eye has ravished my heart. That's what, uh, see, Jesus sees us already perfected. The Father sees a bride that's got spot and wrinkle. Boy, when they both see us together here, that's when he comes. He won't give us to Jesus. Jesus will take us right now. But God is not going to give him a bride with spot and wrinkle or any such thing. So what the deal is, how do you get spots and wrinkles out? Heat and pressure. That's true. Scrubbing and pressure. So that's what he's going to do. And all right. I like the red-headed guy. What's your name? What? James, God bless you. What do you do? Doing a PhD in engineering. Uh, doing in, good, getting, preparing for engineering? Is that what you said? Do you? I'd have never figured that. No, I can figure it. That's good. That's the passion of your heart, music. Things are changing, aren't they? There's a change in the weather. Yeah. Hey, there he is. That's true. So that's good. Go after the passion of your heart. That's true. Don't look back one of these days and go, man, I should have. Follow the passion of your heart. That's one of the ways that God will put something in your heart. When a man's ways please the Lord, he'll give him what? The desires of his heart. See, I want you to know that. I love to hear the kids playing, aren't they? Some, Jesus had them all around him. People go, send them out of here. And Jesus goes, mm, except you become like them, you can't even see or enter the kingdom. So we may have to digress in order to advance. Did I tell you about soul winning? That's your number one call. Remember that. Remember I told him, but sometimes you have to tell him over and over. Number one call is soul winning. That's, number, that's true. They'll come and ask you. You won't have to chase them down. They'll chase you down. They'll, they'll ask you, what in the world do we do with this? And it's going to stun you. Out of your mouth will come the right answer. You want the right answer? Here it is. Isaiah 50, verse 4. Isaiah 50, verse 4 says, I will give you the tongue of a taught one. That you'll know how to reply to everybody that asks you, how do we navigate these dark, dangerous days? The Holy Ghost will give you the answer. And you will know how to answer them. Isn't that something? Say yes. 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 I don't want people to ask me a question. I go, I don't know. 
One time Billy Graham said, we used to do schools of evangelism with Billy Graham, and he said, for God's sake, if somebody asks you a question you don't know, don't just make up something. Tell them, I don't know. It's hard sometimes for Christians to go, I don't know. But we need to learn to say, I don't know. But I'll seek the Lord and see what he'll say. And so it's much better than just coming up with some harebrained thing that God hadn't even talked about. You know, in, in our ministry, I never let anybody prophesy, Thus saith the Lord unto thee. I don't believe God talks to you like that. I believe that's a religious spirit attempting to wow you. If God's got something to say to you, he'll just say it in a way you comprehend it. Most of the time when I prophesy to somebody, the person next to him don't even know it's a prophecy. What real prophecy is is a validation of what God's already been saying to you. That's what, yeah. God will tell you some things about people. You, do, you go, God, that can't be it. One time I'm in a Coliseum, big building full of people. I'm up here preaching. I look right in the very middle of the building. There's this beautiful little lady. I guess she's in her mid-80s, and she's got that little blue hair. You've seen her. Gorgeous little thing about that big. And the Lord said, you see that woman? I said, yes, I do. He said, I have a prophetic word for her that I want you to give her that's going to make her whole life have meaning and purpose. Oh, remember, she's old. I said, God, she, he said, yes, this word I'm going to give her will make her whole life have meaning and purpose. So I said, ma'am, stand up. So she stood up like this, and oh, I was so excited. I said, step out in the middle of the aisle. She makes her way to the middle of the aisle, and I said, honey, this word I'm going to give you will make your whole life have meaning and purpose. I got so excited, I ran off the platform, and I ran out there. There she is. The closer I got to her, the more beautiful she looked. Little bitty gray, blue hair, sparkling blue eyes, and she's standing there like this. So I said it to her again. Honey, this word is going to make your whole life have meaning and purpose. She's looking at me, and I'm waiting on the word. You know, because then all of a sudden, here's what God said. Look her straight in the face and say to her, Yes, honey, I saw you picking that duck. I go, No, God. No. You said it's going to make her whole life have meaning and purpose. And now you say, I saw you picking the duck. And God said, yep, you tell her anything else, it won't be me. Now, there's maybe 4,000 people in the room. And now I'm apologetic. I, I, I go, uh, uh, ma'am, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, but uh, the only word I have for you is, yes, honey, I saw you picking that duck. When I said that, the most euphoric laughter came out of her. She falls to the floor. She's weeping and laughing and gasping. I said, get her up. So she's standing in front of me. I said, ma'am, what in the world is this? And here's what she said to me. She said, oh, son, what you don't understand. When I was a young woman, the wars were going on, and the only job I could get as a young woman was working for the government, and I was picking the, duck, the feathers off of a duck, making the clothes for the military. And she said, I was pulling those feathers off, and I screamed out in a moment of agitation, oh, God, do you even know where I'm at? Then all of her life cascaded down to a civic center. And a guy said, stand up. I'm going to give you a word from God. It will make your whole life have meaning and purpose. Do you see what I'm talking about? See, that's what we got to do. we got to be a vibrating mouthpiece for him. Anyway, that made, that made her day. I was pretty thrilled myself. You know what I mean? we got a God that's concerned about us. It's, he says his thoughts are towards us are as numerous as the sands of the sea, and they're precious. So I looked up the Hebrew word precious, and it means beyond calculation. So valuable, so precious, they're beyond calculation. He thinks about us every day, and he thinks about us as many times as there is the sands of the sea. Psalms 139, verses 16, 17, 18, all the way down through verse 23. 
Aren't you glad? Do you ever think about us? Hey, are you a realist? Say realist. That means that God says what he means and means what he says. I was reading Jeremiah 29, 11. I know my thoughts, I think, towards you, declares the Lord. Thoughts of your safety. Thoughts of your welfare. Okay, so I said, hold it, God. You said you think about me. What do you think about me? And he answered me. Now, whatever he thinks about Bobby Connor is exactly what he thinks about you. Whatever he thinks about me is precisely what he thinks about you. He's no respecter of persons. So he said, I said, you think about me? What do you think about me? And he stunned me. Here's what he said. You want to know? He said, I think you're more beautiful than a flower. I said, God, I don't know what that means, but it feels good. I think you are more beautiful than a flower. I said, I don't understand what you said, but it really feels good in my heart. He said, remember what it says in the Bible? Consider the lily. Solomon in all of his regalia was not adorned as one of these. Now, could Solomon dress up? Woo! First Kings 10 says, Queen of Sheba saw it and she was breathless. Nobody in the world could dress up like Solomon. Said he adorned himself, he adorned the house of God, he adorned his servants, he set up the table of the Lord, and it says when the Queen of Sheba saw it, she was breathless. So it says Solomon and all of his regalia was not adorned as one of these. So he said, I think you're more beautiful than a flower. So I like that. So I said to him, what else do you think about me? Remember now, whatever he thinks about me is what? Same thing he thinks about you. It, Barry, is that what you said it was, Barry? So here's what he says, Barry. I think you're more beautiful than a flower. Then he says, I think you're more valuable than a bird. What? I, I said, Lord, it feels good again, but I don't know what you're talking about. Remember he says, consider the sparrow. Doesn't have to toil and spin. Your father in heaven tends to it. Are you not more valuable than a bird? So, see, God will provide for us. You believe that? Psalmist said it this way. I've been young, now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or seed begging bread. God's going to see to it his people come out on top. So we better get back to what time it is. It's time to wake up, Romans 13, 11. Isaiah 60, 1 through 5, it's time to what? Rise and shine. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. It does say deep, dense, thick, desperate darkness will cover all the nations, but the Lord's light. Have you ever watched a jeweler sell a diamond? How does a jeweler sell a diamond? Well, I'll tell you. He lays out the darkest, blackest background. Then he pops the diamond in the center of the dark, black background and turns the light on. Deep darkness will cover the nations, but some jewel is going to be presented to you. The Lord's light and His radiance will be upon you. Arise, shine, for your light has come. The radiance of God will beam out of you. And it says, kings will come to the brightness of your shining. Is that true? That's true. That's exactly right. 1 Kings 10 is a, is a prototype of the church under the glory of God. Had wisdom, discernment, political leaders beat a path to the Solomon's house asking him which way do we go from here. That's going to happen to the church. We're going to get the glory of God, the wisdom of God upon us and we're going to speak out the word of God and give direction to the nations. That's true. They'll ask us and we'll have the right answer. So signs of the times, great confusion concerning which way to go, Christians will have the answer. Do you believe that? 
We're walking. It says Ephesians, walk with goal, aim, and true purpose. Ephesians 1, 17 and 18 says, I'll pray for you that the eyes of your heart will be flooded with revelatory light. You'll have a grasp and a comprehension of the ways of God. I'll pray over you in just a moment. Psalms 119, verse 130. That verse says the entrance of his word will give light. It'll give a grasp and a comprehension of the way that you're to walk. You believe that? We shouldn't go, I don't know what to do. Seek him. How do we seek him? We seek him with all of our heart. Jeremiah 29, 12, and 13. Say it. Jeremiah 29, verses 12 and 13. Here's what it says. You will find me, God speaking, when you search for me and seek for me with all your heart. Here's what he told me. He said, half-hearted obedience is nothing but cloaked rebellion. Half-hearted obedience is nothing but cloaked rebellion. If we don't obey him completely, wholeheartedly, it's not really acceptable to him. We only find him when we search for him with what? All of our heart. Well, that's true. I like the guy in the suit coat here. What's your name? I'm sorry? Christian. Christian. That's a good name. Yeah, God bless your heart. I really mean that. God's got a gift for you today, and you're going to receive it, and it's worth more money than the whole world. He's going to give you the peace of God. He's going to give you the peace, tranquility of God in your heart. That's true. Money can't buy it, but you're going to get the peace of God in your heart. I love that. Don't, uh, you get, he gets Philippians 4, 6 through 8, the peace of God. And he says, enter his gates with thanksgiving, with a heart of gratitude. He says, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep your heart and your mind. That's what's going to happen to you. The peace of God's going to keep your heart and your mind. And it's the only place in the Bible that says you'll have tranquility of soul. So that'll help you. You can't get that from appeal. Tranquility of soul. You watch peace. Peace will just cover him. The peace of God. You believe when we try to figure out things ourselves, it's very confusing? But if you just, here, here, listen, it's people that study these things, they tell us more people are dropping dead today from stress-related diseases than ever in the history of humanity. Jesus prophesied it like this. Men's hearts failing them for the things they see coming upon the earth. What can we do to overcome that? Isaiah 26, 3. Get our eyes off of the calamity happening and on to the Lord. Isaiah 26, 3. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. Trust in the Lord Jehovah. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting, never failing strength. You have favorite verses. I'll tell you my favorite verse in the Bible right now, okay? My favorite verse in the Bible right now is Nahum, N-A-H-U-M, chapter 1, verse 7. Nahum, chapter 1, verse 7, it says, The Lord is good. A very present help in the time of trouble, and he knows those that are trusting him. Now, let's break that down. The Lord is good. Aren't you glad it didn't say the Lord was good or he's going to be good? He is good, present tense. Right now in your situation, when things are so chaotic, he's good. It says in the Bible he's a very present help in the time of trouble. Aren't you glad his help is available and adequate? Psalms 121 verse 1 says, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from which cometh my help. My help comes from where? The Lord who made the what? Heavens and the earth. See, now, if he had power to make the heavens and the earth, he's got enough power to solve our situation. And he's approachable and adequate. Have you ever noticed this? Sometimes when people get a little notoriety, they're almost unapproachable. 
But here's Almighty God that says, come before me. Come boldly that you might receive grace and help. Isn't that cool? I think it's cool that Almighty God wants to give us open access to himself. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, okay. My wife's over here telepromptering me. said, tell him about... Okay, honest to God. The Lord spoke to me and said, Bobby, this sound is almost muted on earth, but it's very amplified in heaven. I said, Lord, what sound is almost muted on earth, but very amplified in heaven? He said, it's the sound of the breaking of a heart and the shattering of dreams. He said, on earth, it's almost muted, but in heaven, it's loud. See, your heart can be broken, your dreams shattered, and the person next to you not even know it. But when your heart's broken, your dreams are shattered, heaven knows it. And he's touched with what touches you. You believe that? He really is. Isn't he a good God? There's a crooked politician in the Bible, Pontius Pilate. Remember him? He analyzed and scrutinized the life of Jesus from every aspect. And he said, what? I find no fault in him. If that can come from a crooked politician, we ought to be lauding his bragging on God, shouldn't we? We ought to be telling people how good God is. You believe that's one of our roles and responsibilities? Yeah. Man, I got a verse for you. Here we go. It's Psalms 145, verses 1 through 8. It says, one generation is going to make known his mighty deeds to the next. It says, they'll laud and applaud the mighty works of our God. So one generation is going to laud and applaud the mighty works of God to the next one. So that's one of your commissions. Psalms 145, verses 1 through 8. Don't you want to tell the next generation how good God is? Oh, that, that's why you're hanging around. You believe that? That's true. To brag on how good God is. That's what it says. It says that we should talk about His goodness. I've had people go, well, I don't, I, I don't think we ought to spend a lot of time talking about miracles. I do. If you'll talk about miracles, you'll get them. Psalms 111. Psalms 111 verses 1 through 8. It says, and, and it says, the works of the Lord are great, sought out by all of those that have pleasure in them. See, if you really have pleasure in the miracles of God, you'll seek them out. I'll show you why we need miracles. Is John 2, 11. Remember that verse? It says, this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cain of Galilee. And it did something. Oh, it manifested forth his glory. And his disciples believed on him. The first thing that the miracles did, it did what? Manifested forth the glory of God. And his disciples believed deeper and stronger in him. That's the role of the church. is to glorify the Lamb. And it caused saints to have a deeper faith in Messiah. John 2, 11. Isn't that cool? Do you remember the, what the miracle was, don't you? There were six water pots over at the door. Made out of what? Red dirt. Clay. Same thing you're made out of. Remember it says God, God formed man out of what? Dust of the earth and named him what? Adam means red dirt. So there's six red water pots over there against the wall. Earthen vessels. Six is the number of what? Man. It said they were empty. See, here's the whole deal. John 2. There was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Jesus and his disciples were invited, and he went. Now, I'm already impressed. Jesus is touched with what touches us. Here he is. This is if you study this in the Greek, it's not some big, 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 you know, it's not like Prince Harry's getting married or whatever. You know what I mean? It's just a common wedding. I guess, you know common wedding and Jesus went I love that he's not disassociated I'm too important for that 
There was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and Jesus and his disciples were invited and he went. And he says this, in the midst of the celebration of the wedding, they ran out of wine and Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there and she basically goes to Jesus, and I'll paraphrase, hop to it, boy, do something. And he turned around and said to her, Hey, Mom, you may have birthed me, but you will not manipulate me. See, what's killed every move of God till this very moment is that. God used somebody to birth it, and then they think they can control it. Mom, you may have birthed me, but you will not manipulate me. She goes, whoops. Remember that? Then she turned to the disciples. Jesus asked me once, said, Would you like a prophetic word you could give to anybody, any place in the world, if they obeyed it, it would guarantee them success? Oh, let me think about that. Would I like a prophetic word I could give to anybody, any place in the world, if they obeyed it, it would guarantee them success? Yes, I would. Here it is, John 2. The disciples were there. Jesus has rebuked his mama in a general, gentle way. What have I to do with thee, woman? My hour is not yet come. You may have birthed me. You can't manipulate me. So she goes, whoop, my bad. So she says to the disciples, whatever he says to do, do it. Now, that's the prophetic word you can give to anybody, any place in the world. If they'll obey it, guarantee them success. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Do it with all your mind. So here's what she told them to do. Jesus said, here's what I want you to do, boys. Go fill those water pots to the very brim with water. Now, remember, they're us. Empty, longing, waiting, knowing there's more than what we're experiencing. So the disciples, they poured water in. Now, here's where the church is right now this very moment. They knew what they put in. They had no clue what they poured out. See, way too familiar with a God we barely know. Poured in water. Anybody could have. Yeah, just plain agua, water. Here we go. Poured it in. In a moment. Poured it back out in a pitcher. Now they had no clue what was in their hand. They walk up to the governor of the feast, hand him the He takes a sip and he goes, whoa, new thing. Most people serve the best at the beginning, lesser at the last, but he's done a what? New thing. He saved the best for. What time are we in? Last days. What are we? The best. Save the best for the last. Well, that's the truth. Well, that's it. Because the devil's always trying to say to you, who do you think you are? We're the best God could do. We're his... Stroke of genius to display who he is. That's true. See, he's displayed himself. Isn't that that wonderful? So arise, shine, so it's time to wake up, time to stand up, time to shine, and it's time to advance. It's not a time to hold the fort. It's a time to be aggressive for the kingdom of God. Aggressive for the kingdom of God. I mean, hold back nothing. Remember when Jesus, it says he went a little farther in the Garden of Gethsemane? He left his disciples here, but he went a little farther. Aren't you glad he went all the way? I want to do the same thing for him. I don't want to hold back. I don't want to live in some safe zone. Do you? Let's lay it all out for him. I know you're willing to do that. So that's what's about to happen in Sheffield. God's God's about to do something new. You believe that? I do. I do. I do. I'll tell you what's going to happen. God's going to send miracles to your house. Miraculous miracles. Now, that, that's, you want to fill this house? I'll tell you how to fill it. And here, here's your prophecy. You're about to get Mark 2, 1. 
It was noised abroad that he was in the house. There was not room enough to receive him. No, not so much about the door. And they tore the roof off. God's about to rip the roof off of this place with miracles. He's about to rip the roof off of this place with miracles. You let miracles happen, here comes the people. It says in multitudes, that means a bunch. And multitudes believed on him, Jesus, when they saw the miracles he did. We need miracles. Miracles produce the people. So, so get ready for that. He's going he's gonna to do miracles and it'll just fill this place and tear the roof off. Right here in Sheffield. See, see they don't, the, the enemy don't think it'll happen in Sheffield. God loves to do it in the most unlikely places. You know, they go, can anything good come from, well, that, you know. Yes! Yeah, I'm telling you. That's exactly what God does. He, he finds places where you got to go, well, you know, London maybe. But Sheffield? Answer, answer is yes. I tell you what, I heard the word smelting and tempering of metal. I'll tell you what, that's what God's doing. He's, he's tempering metal here. He's, he, have you ever watched a, a knife maker make a knife? Well, I have. Famous knife maker lives down in, not far from where we live, and I've watched him work. They'll take metal, certain kind of metal, they'll heat it till it's blazing red. Fire pumping off it, then they'll drop it in ice water. Then they pick it back up and do the same thing again. And a hammer, put it back in. I'm going, my God, make a knife. What's he doing? He's tempering. That's what's happening to you. Oh, one day you go, bless God, help. Then it seems like the bottom falls out. You're back in the cold water. Good God, what am I doing here? God's tempering you, getting you ready to stand when the real fire comes. The real fire comes. Well, that's good. I wouldn't trade these days for any other days in human history to be alive. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I've studied human history. I would, this, is, this is the final event. See, when I grew up, I boxed and I played football. I never, I never liked scrimmaging. That's when you play like you're playing. And then I never liked sparring. That's when you play like you're boxing. You're either fighting or you ain't fighting. You know what I mean. Well, anyway. And that's the way it is. And that's the way it is. I like when the whistle blows and the bell rung. Ding! I like the main event. And that's what you and I are part of. This is not rehearsal. You and I have been called to the main event. So we need to present ourselves as warriors ready for the, ready for the battle. You believe that? Isn't it Joshua 1 9? Why, well, sure it is. Joshua 1 9 says, Be bold, be brave, be very courageous. Go do what you're called to do because you're not going by yourself. Yeah, I don't want conflict. Get out of the church. There's going to be conflict. But we're fighting from victory, not for victory. You know that, don't you? I do. Well, good. God bless you. God bless your heart. That's good. Ah, well, hello. What's your name? Trish. God bless you, Trish. Can I run my hand behind your head? Is that okay with you? Here, it's okay. You go, what good does that do? Breaks off every ancestral curse. That's what that does. Theologian, you know, I'm telling you, it will. Isn't that, that's wonderful. You believe sometimes there are ancestral curses? Well, sure they are. Doctors will tell you, they'll say, they'll ask you a question like this. Does this run in your family? Is that true? Yeah. But I'll tell you what, it all stops with you. You believe that? 
You're a new creation. You're out of, out of the family of darkness into the family of light. Colossians 1.13, he saves us out of, into. Translates us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. That's what it says. Colossians 1.13, like those horns. Well, we've got to get out of here in a moment. Aren't these guys wonderful? They're wonderful hearts. I, listen, I, I love old people. I used to go to nursing homes. Y'all have nursing homes, your convalescent homes. Oh, man, I went there one time and a woman resurrected from the dead. Hey! Yeah, honest to God. You don't hear about it? I go there. I used to go to Twin Oaks. I used to go to a lot of nursing homes, didn't I? And I go to Twin Oaks Nursing Home and preach. And there was a little lady named Miss Shamlin, Ada Shamlin. And she was old. And she was little. And she played the piano like a Methodist. Ding, 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 ding. And she'd play the piano and I'd sing. I'd sing worse than she'd play, honestly. But anyway, I get there to the nursing home one time. I see a, a, a hearse out there. Uh, 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 and so I get there and the nurses are kind of ex- excited. And they said, oh, Brother Bobby says, Miss Ada has deceased. The morgue's here to get her body. Her family's back there. Would you go say a prayer? I said, yes. So I go back there, and her son, I think, was 72 then, is somewhere along there, and he never really liked me much. So I go in there, and there's there's the family, and they're all weeping and crying because Miss Ada was a wonderful little old lady. And so there's the bed over there. It's got a little hump in it like that. And so I'm going to say a prayer. I'm the... Baptist preacher so I go over there and I uncover Miss Ada oh goodness there she is I take the cover off of her and she's already gray she's about the color of this carpet kind of a blue gray and her head's off the side of the pillar and her mouth's draped open not a tooth in her head she's blue dead so there's wailing and crying so I lean over her like this and I start to pray now, I closed my eyes, and here's what I said. You ready? I said, Dear Lord, I want to thank you for the life of Ada. When I said the words, life of Ada, she resurrects from the dead, jumps up, grabs me by the face, jerks my face down to her, and starts prophesying to me. I'm 280 pounds. She's about 80 pounds, and I couldn't get loose from her. Ah! Ah! When she turned me loose, everybody in that room was screaming. Miss Ada lived for months after that. I was scared of her. You know, she was dead and came back to life and prophesied to me about what I'm doing right now. Isn't that cool? Miss Ada. But it happened when I, con- I used those two words, I thank you for the life of Ada. When those words mingled together, boom, God resurrected her. See, have you figured this out? None of us get out of this alive. It's appointed that a man wants to die and after this a judgment. See, there's some denomination, there's some religions that teach, well, if you don't make it this time, you get to come back, get a second shot. That ain't in the Bible. You get one shot at this thing. You're not coming back as a hog or a log. I mean, you, you, you either make it this time or you don't make it. It's appointed unto man wants to die and after this a judgment. Now, are you sure you're saved today? Do you really know the Holy Ghost is in you? You see, it's not enough to come to church and live good and do the best you can. You've got to be born again. I was giving an interview to a magazine one time. The lady said with a curl in her lip, Oh, oh, so you're one of those born-again Christians. I said to her, Oh, is there any other kind? See, there's not a Christian than a born-again Christian. 
Only way you become a Christian is you must be born again. Is that true? That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. He's a lot smarter than any of us. John 3, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know your teacher come from God. Nobody can do these miracles you're doing except God be with him. Now, well, notice that. We know, speaking of the plural, he's in the singular. But notice how Jesus brings him out of the crowd back to the individual. You must be born again. Now, Nick was a ruler of the Jews. What does that mean? Oh, it meant he kept 480 Levitical laws a day. It meant he could quote the first five books of the Bible. Very astute in religion, wasn't he? But he realized, hey, I need this God. So he runs to Jesus by night. And so they're having this dialogue. You must be born again. And then Nick kicks in the mind. What? You mean I have to enter a second time into mommy's tummy and come out? And then Jesus says, marvel not that I say unto thee. And he says, quit trying to use human intellectuality to figure out spiritual principles. Marvel not that I say unto thee. See, you can't figure it out here. You experience it here. A lot of people are going to go to hell because they're trying to figure it out here. You can't do that. If Nicodemus couldn't do it, you can't do it. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. So you must be born again. It's not a suggestion. It's an absolutely must. How does that happen? It happens when we repent. Say, Lord Jesus, I can't do it my way. I'm going to do it your way. Now, there's a way that seems right, but then it's what? Death. So come God's way, okay? Yeah. I was, giving a, I was in a conference doing a meeting, and we gave an invitation. I said, now, don't come unless you're giving your heart to Jesus. The man putting on the conference stood up. I said, Eric, did you hear the, did you hear the invitation? He said, yes. Now, I'm talking about the pastor putting on the conference. Stands up, and he said, I'm standing up to publicly receive Jesus Christ. He said, all my life, I've been attempting to live good enough to be qualified. And he said, I realize today I can't do it. Now, that's bold, isn't it? See, don't go to hell over any title. You know? Well, what will people think? Who cares? It matters whether or not your name is recorded in the Lamb's book. Is it? Aren't you glad when it's there, it's, it can't be ripped out? Here's what it says. I, I'm, I'm about almost through. Barry, it says, Whom the sun sets free, free indeed. So I looked up the word indeed. It's a courtroom term. It's a lawyer phrase. It means irrevocable, non-rescindable. Aren't you glad? Whom the sun sets free. It's free indeed. Cannot be rescinded. Aren't you glad? I am. Well, I'm hot now, just sweating up a storm, but that's the way I do. I scream till we get hot. But I'm glad you're here. Put your hand on your heart. Say this with me. You ready? Wow! wow. I'm really something. There's nobody like me. I'm handpicked. God chose me. I'm on a mission. To usher in the kingdom of God. That's exactly true. That's our mission is to usher in the kingdom of God. We're to do what Adam failed to do, to take dominion of this earth. That's true. That's exactly what's buzzing in your chest, is dominion power. And that's where we are. Theologically, eschatology, we're at the time when God is raising up a people that's going to know his presence and get anointed with his authority and take over. You're going to find out in him and through him you have 
power to change this whole world. That's the honest to God truth. Once I was sitting there in America, and there were 98 wildfires burning, 98. Our government was spending $1,400,000 a day trying to put them out, and they couldn't put them out. I'm in Knoxville, Tennessee in August. It's 102 degrees. I'm sitting on the front seat of a church, and the Lord said to me, Hey, Bobby, how long are you going to let those wildfires burn? I said, God, I didn't know I was responsible. He said, Who do you think is? I got a strange feeling. I said, what do you want me to do? He said, I want you to get up and go up there to the pulpit and prophesy. I'm going to send you to the northwest. You're going to stand there, lift your hands, prophesy a snowstorm in the name of Jesus. I'll send a snowstorm and put the fires out. I said, God, it's August. It's 102 degrees. Are you sure? He said, more than you are. Go do what you're told. All of this is history now. I stood there and I said, God's going to send me to the northwest. Going to prophesy a snowstorm. God's going to send a snowstorm and put the fires out. Guess what happened? We go there. Prophesied a snowstorm. God sent a snowstorm. Headlines of the Missoula, Montana paper said, Surprise snowstorm. Fires extinguished. Good job well done. Show the firemen coming off the mountain. See, God can do the supernatural. You believe it? Yes. Oh, man. Okay. She wants me to tell about the cookie. Have you heard this cookie? So here, here's the story. Here's the story. So uh, I, I try to buy me a plane ticket to go out there where the fires were. They wouldn't sell me one right there because... The fire base was there, so I had to buy one a few cities away. So I bought my ticket, flew out there, and a charismatic preacher picked me up and was driving me. So he's over there driving, and so I'm over here on the passenger side. We're going to the mountains that are ablaze. And I said, oh, Lord. And he said, Bobby, I'm going to give you confirmation that the mission that you're on is going to be successful. And I go, what verse, dear Lord? He said, not a verse. It's going to be in the third cookie in a Chinese eating joint. But you'll have to tell this preacher. I said, oh, God. So I said, sir, yes, Bobby, the Lord has confirmed to me this mission we're on is going to be successful. Sha-la-la-la. What verse, dear brother? I said, I'm sorry, it's not going to be in the verse. It's going to be in the third cookie in a Chinese eating joint. You could feel a wall go up between us, you know. And he basically, I could hear him thinking, you sit over there and be quiet. I'll get you there as quick as we can. And he said, that's the strangest thing. Right down the road is one of my favorite eating places. It's a Chinese place. I said, yes, sir, here's what's going to happen. We're going to go in. When we get through eating the meal, the little lady will lay down a plastic tray. On the tray will be two cookies. I'll ask her for the third cookie in her pouch, and this confirmation will be in that third cookie. So we go into the Chinese place. I've already lost my appetite by now. but <laughs> The little girl brings the thing, and at the end she brings a little tray. She sets the tray down with the two cookies. And so she turns to go away, and I said, Ma'am, could I have the other cookie? And she goes, Oh, so sorry, I have one. I said, Yes, ma'am. So she takes it out and sets it down. So we push the other two cookies away, and I take my hands, pop the cellophane off. I pull the little cookie apart, and I pull out a piece of paper. Thousands, untold thousands, have seen what came off this piece of paper. It says, God not only will listen to your prayers, but he will make them come to pass. In a Chinese eating joint. So we go to the mountain and prophesy, and down, down comes the snow, and the fires were put out. See, God can do it. The heavens of heavens belong to God, but the earth He's given into the hands of men. So that's what we got to do. We got to assume responsibility. What you need to do is say, reporting for duty. That's what we need to do. Volunteer. Report. See, if you don't, who will? If you don't take your neighborhood, who will? If you don't take your school, who will? If you don't take your factory, your job, who will? Every morning you ought to say, reporting for duty. That's right. People ask me,
how do, you, how do you maintain the anointing? Travel all over the earth. Here's what I do. When I get in the morning, I go, Holy Spirit, these are not my hands. They're yours. And I, See, he has no hands till you give him yours. He has no lips till you give him yours. No eyes till you give him yours. I'll never forget the Holy Ghost came one time. He said, scoot over. I want to see you. He pushed my eyes aside. And from that moment on, I could see you three ways. Your black sweater, your heart, your lungs, and your spirit man. That's true. Is that You were standing right beside me. Well, I'm hot. I, I got, I, I know it's up there somewhere. Somewhere. Well, she said, don't quit your day job. Here's a nice one. Thanks. We've seen dead people raised with these. That's true. Yeah, that's good. Oh, look. Did you draw that, baby? That looks good. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Drew some pictures of me. Looks more like Robert Redford or somebody like that. But a pretty, pretty good looking picture. Ah, good. God bless your heart. Let's mess around a while. Y'all, what time do y'all want to get out? Just any time. God bless your heart. He's going to strengthen your back. You'll have a strong back. That'll be good. Anybody here with back problems? God wants to fix back problems. I mean scoliosis, curved spine, broke neck, whatever the deal is. You got something wrong with your back? Stand up. God wants to heal you. Anybody with back problems? Stand up. God wants to heal back problems. That's how one of the things happened. I broke my neck in a pickup wreck. This arm is swiveled up. They're going to cut my throat, chip a bone off my spine. God said, won't you ask me to heal you? I said, I'm not sure how I feel about that. He said, it's better than surgery. That's true, so I got healed. Is this right, Carolyn? So, any, so you got something wrong with your back. God wants to heal you. So, Lord Jesus, I ask that your presence and your power would come into this room right here in Sheffield today, this Sunday morning. I pray that you'll come heal every person that's standing, even some that need to be healed that's not standing. I pray that your healing power would swoop in here and you would touch them and make them well from this moment on. I take authority over back pain, over uh, crushed uh, vertebrae. Lord, whatever the ailment, you're the solution. So, Lord Jesus, it's by your stripes we're healed. And I'm asking you, living Lord Jesus, straighten out curved spines, fix anything that's wrong, take away chronic pain, and make their, their skeletal form straight and right and no pain from this moment on in the name of Jesus. Take away stiff necks and problems in Jesus' name. Wiggle yourself around. You, I'm telling you, uh, something is changing in hips and uh, pelvic area. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Deep back, uh, I, I see things happening in the deep curve of your back. Lord, heal people for your glory. Take away the pain and make them pain-free in Jesus' name. So I receive it in the name of Jesus. I don't care how long you've had it. God says, it goes now, and he'll give you wonderful peace. Wonderful peace, wonderful healing. So that's good. Wiggle around. That's good. You, you'll be able to do things. I don't care if your back's been fused. I don't care if there's a rod in there. God will take the rod out. I'm telling you, God will. He'll fix what man tried to fix. He takes screws out, titanium plates out. I'm telling you, God, you can do anything. I release a God of the impossible in this room. God, you do things that are seemingly impossible. So, Lord, do it for your glory in Jesus' name. Well, that's good. You can... I was doing a meeting the other day. Go ahead and be seated. Doing a meeting the other day, and this lady that was a professor of psychology comes. Wonderful lady, very articulate. So she comes forward like this. I'm up here preaching. So she's standing here, and I said, uh, Ma'am, why have you come? She said, uh, For I forget how many years, my shoulder has been locked up. 
I said, no, you're healed. She said, sir, I'm here because my shoulder is locked up. And I say to her, no, ma'am, you're healed. So she says again, like I'm hard of hearing, sir, I'm here because I can't do this. <laughs> yeah. Through, yeah, and then had herself a fit. Yeah, I like when you have a fit, don't you? And, you know, no, I mean a good fit. She, you know, sophisticated, but she didn't care. She's running around going, whoa, yeah, just flapping like a parrot. You know what I mean? I like a God that does that, don't you? Yeah, I like I like it when they don't think it's going to happen, and God does it anyway. I don't know where I was somewhere last week, and uh, this little lady comes, and uh, so she's very, very sophisticated, and people were falling out in the Holy Ghost. And so she comes, and the Holy Ghost hits her. She squealed like a little teenager. She, she just went wonderfully wild, and she's just giggling. She said, it is really real. She said, all my life I wanted to know, is God really real? Yeah, he's really real. You don't have to wait till you're 80 to find that out. Seek him while you're young. Do you understand that? But see, it's never too late to seek him. Did you know that? Seek him while he may be found. But that little lady, where I was, uh, I don't know where in the world I was. Aberdeen, I think it was somewhere else other than that. Well, anyway, so we go a couple of places a week. Can you believe that? Tomorrow we're going to Belfast, isn't that right? And then we go to Wells, and then we come back and go to Dudley. And then we go down to, uh, to, to what, what's the name of it? Yeah, Bournemouth. Bournemouth. I'll know it when I get there. Somebody, somebody will drive us and they'll go, this is it. And I go, okay. I go to Bath. And I, I call it Bath and they go, Bath. No, it's Bath. Bath. I love that they always corrected me. You know, yeah. Yeah. I told you, God talks just like me. It's true. I'll tell you how he talks. He talks exactly like you listen. John 10, 3, my sheep will hear my voice. But I, read, I meant what we said about miracles are going to come to this place and it will draw the multitudes. So, Lord, I want to thank you. I thank you for your plans for England and Great Britain. Lord, I thank you, God. I thank you for the destiny they have. I pray, Lord Jesus, for your wonderful glory canopy to come. Lord, that you would cover us. And I, I pray over them that Psalms 91, 11, that the angels, the host of heaven, will hover over us and guard us and protect us, garrisoning around your people, Lord. Bless your people. I pray for those that uh, have desperate needs at home. I pray for the peace of God and the presence of God to fill every home. I pray over them, Acts uh, 16, 31, that salvation would come to their house. Lord, I pray for this in Jesus' wonderful name. I pray for children that are out of balance and, 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 and almost unrestrainable. Lord, let the peace of God come on them. I thank you, God. You said train them up in the way they're to go. When they're old, they will not depart. So call them back in. Lord, we talked about the prodigal son. Call in the prodigal, Lord. Call them back to your house, Lord. Call them back to your fold in Jesus' wonderful name. I thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you that last night you made a declaration that you were cursing insanity. So, Lord, I want to pray over the people that you will give a, a well-disciplined mind. You said you did not give us a spirit of fear, but love, power, and a well-disciplined mind. So, Lord, a sound mind. We release a sound mind on the people, Lord. Not only those in this room, but those in, in convalescent places, Lord, in, in sanitariums, Lord. Send out your word and give them a sound mind. Do with them what happened in Mark 5. We see them seated, clothed in their right mind. In Jesus' name. Seated, clothed in their right mind. 
So, Lord, that's what we're asking. Take them from lunatic to missionaries, from maniacs to missionaries. In Jesus' wonderful name. Ooh, I tell you what. That's good. God wants to really shake down uh, walls and hedge rows and all of these things. So, Lord, I thank you. You'll shake down religious walls. I, I see... Ezekiel 37, 7, so I prophesied as I was commanded. As I prophesied, there came a shaking, and it shook a fragmented body together. And they stood upon their feet, an exceeding great what? Army. That's right, exceeding great army. Is that what you want to be? Here's what he says. He said, release in my people a hunger to know the Word of God. When I looked at this young man, I saw Joshua 1, 8, meditate upon these words. Let them not depart from your eyes. Meditate on them day and night, and it will guarantee you overwhelming success. Here's the number one question I get asked across the whole earth. How did you memorize the Bible? How did I memorize the Bible, Carolyn? Come here just a second. Tell them how I memorized the Bible. You just studied, just studied it till the, I wore the print off the page. Is this true? Several Bibles he's worn, worn out. That's right. Here's what the Lord said. You better do that again. I studied it till I wore the print off the page. The Lord told me you better do that again because you'd never see the Word of God twice the same way. It's like a diamond. You get it into a different environment, what happens? It gives it back to you. And so that we're in a time of real release of revelation. So get into the Word of God now. Yeah, looks like I've been fingerprinted, doesn't it? That was me trying to sign my book. But... I'd fill my fountain pen up. I still use the old fountain pen, and I'd fill it up, and the pressure from the plane blows out the ink. So apparently I forgot that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we ought to quit, but I'm not ready to. When I said about the pen, here's what happened to me one time. My wife hates this story, but here I was. My wife and I, we're fixing to do a conference, and we're in the green room. You know what the green room is? It's a little place you go where you prepare before you step out. to the. So we're, they're out there singing, oh, la, la, you know. And so, so here I am. My wife and I, were back in the green room, and so she's sitting over there quiet, and I'm sitting at the desk, and I'm studying my notes. I'm studying what I'm going to preach. Now, I don't know why I did it. I had one of those pens like you get from the, yeah, you get those big pens, yeah, them little pins like from the hotel with the tip on them. And so I'm beside myself. They're singing. You know, and so that you can hear them. I'm back there in that room and I'm studying my notes. Yeah, and, and so, but I'm running the pen up and down my nose, keeping time with the music. And all, I rammed it too far. And the, the tip of the pen, the cap of the pen stays up my nose. Yeah, yeah. So I reached and I, I, reached, I tried again, and it ran all the way sideways like this. I said, honey, honey, I got the pen up my nose. What? Honey, I got the pen up my nose. What? How did you get the pen up your nose? I can't breathe. Water is running. Mucus is running. I thought, my God, she's going to have to go out there and dismiss the service because I got the pen up my nose, you know. Couldn't talk, you know. So I was just panicking for a moment. Then the Lord said, settle down. It's going to be all right. He said, ram your finger up the next nostril and blow real hard. And out it went, and everything was fine. Is this right? Yeah. So, yeah. 
makes her hands sweat even to this day. <sighs> but see, now, I don't know why you ram a pen up your nose, but you know, one time the Lord told me, he said, you amuse me, boy. That's what he said. Yeah. Oh, and got that thing hung on my... Yes, I did. I was pilfering around. I was preaching, but I don't like to just stand here and preach. I pilfer around while I'm preaching. So I was preaching up there, and I saw some kind of thing I'd never seen before. It was some kind of little glass thing that a musician would wear to play a... Uh, play a. So I thought, I'm going to slide that on my finger. And I slid it on my finger, and somehow it caused a vacuum suck or something and then it would not come off I'm trying to pray you know, and the Lord slips the Lord yeah but I do okay y'all know Benny Hand. anyway years ago years ago I stand in front of our church a Baptist church and I said Benny Hand is going to give me his tie I had never met Benny had it I don't think and anyway, can I tell you how I met Benny? Yes, Bobby. See, here's what happened. I'm a Southern Baptist pastor, and I, I was down in the yard one time getting some firewood on a January night, and I hear Larry Lee say, Benny Hinn's coming to my church. So I didn't know Benny Hinn from a wood rat. You know what I mean? So the next morning I stand up to our church, and I say, I'm going up there to Rockwall, and Benny Hinn's going to lay hands on me, and his anointing get on me, and my anointing will get on him. So my wife and I get to the Benny Hinn meeting in Rockwall, Texas, about 20 minutes before it starts. The whole thing's full. The fire marshals close down the building. The building's full. They can't put more people in. Somehow we get in. We're sitting out there in the middle of the crowd. And so Benny comes out. I'd never seen him. He came out, and he goes, you know, he does the ministry, and it's really good. And so then he goes and sits all the way down on the other end of, the, uh, other end of all those chairs of people. So the Lord said, do what I told you to do. So I get up, I don't know, maybe 10,000, 12,000 people. Could have been more than that. I don't know, building full of people. So I get up, and I walk up there. See, they got guys hired to keep guys like me away from Benny. Is that true? So I get up there. I walk right up on the platform. I walk right by every person. Not one person stopped me. Not one person said, hey, what are you doing? I walked up there to where Benny was. Benny sat down. I said, hey, my name is Bobby Connor. God said, if I'd lay hands on you, my anointing get on you. And if you laid hands on me, your anointing get on me. He said, put your hand on my neck. So I bent down, put my hand on his neck. He put his hand on my neck. He prayed for me. I prayed for him. I patted him on the shoulder, turned around, walked back and sat down. And Carolyn said, well, what happened? I said, I got it. So I preached with Benny, traveled around with him. Is this true? But anyway, I, I told the church once that I was going to get his tie. And sure enough, that happened, didn't it? Yeah, anyway. But see. <laughs> Some of these statements is like, oh, God, I just want to fall you know, under the, the chair. And I just said, God, please make that happen. That is not going to make him look good if that does not happen. And God just so blesses and bailed us out once again, hands sweating and all. But anyway, we had um, uh, gone down to one of Benny's, uh, back in the early 90s, uh, Mighty Warriors conferences. And Bobby, here's Benny out in the parking lot at midnight hour. So we go over to him, you know, and, and there was a lot of people, but you would think that I had, you know, bodyguards or whatever but anyway God let us get there and Bobby asked Benny he said could I have your tie he said it's not just the tie but it's for the anointing and uh, Benny said well I would give you this but someone just gave it to me 
So you come Thursday night, I will give you a tithe. Well, anyway, and I told Bobby, I said, let's not aggravate the guy or worry him. I said, you know, he's got lots of people, does the same thing. So anyway, he listened to my bad advice, I suppose, but God bailed me out. So we take a big group of our people to um, Dallas-Fort Worth. Benny was there at the Reunion Cow Arenas and Hotel. Anyway, we didn't know that Benny was in the same hotel, you know, as, as all of us. So we're uh, all meeting with our church people and, and sitting in the lobby of this hotel and about to have lunch. And I look at, all of a sudden, I see Benny and his people coming. So I hollered to all of our people, hey, Benny's coming in this door. Get over here. He marches in that door, and, and there we're standing kind of in the background. And he walks up, and he said, Bobby, did you ever get your tie? And he said, no, I didn't. And he said, let me give you this tie. Takes it off. Here of all of our people from church that had heard that statement. And uh, Benny takes his tie off, put it around Bobby, invited him to come and speak uh, at Orlando. And uh, anyway, at a miracle service that he had. So if God be for us, who can be against us? But I just praise God for the boldness. And the Lord has delivered Bobby a long time ago, the fear of men, because it does bring a big snare. So be bold and be strong and be tenacious. Tell them about tenacious. Oh, tenacious. Okay. Now, you know, uh, one time I was my football coach. I played football, and so the coach stood up one time. He says, one thing about Connor, he's got tenacity. I, I didn't know what I had. I thought I had bad, you know. But I didn't understand the word tenacity. But we need tenacity. We need to be unshakable in our resolve. Here's one thing that happened once, one of those far-out deals. Uh, TBN, you know, Paul and Jan Crouch, they're, so at that time they were the biggest religious uh, broadcasting network in the world. And so the Lord said, the first time you touch Jan Crouch on the hand, she's going to invite you to come be on TBN. So every time God will tell me something crazy, I'll tell Carolyn, so I'll have validation. So I told Carolyn, I said, the moment I touch Jan Crouch on the hand, she's going to invite us to come be on TBN. So we're in some coliseum once, and uh, in comes Jan with a whole entourage of people. We're over there, and so as Jan's trying to get set down with all of her stuff, and so she's putting her stuff down. So I'm over there, and I said to Carolyn, come with me. So we get up, and we walk over there, and Jan's just getting settled. So I said, uh, hi, my name's Bobby Connor. Struck my hand out. The moment her fingers touched mine, she said, hey, I want you to be on TBN. My secretary, Sandy, will call you in the morning. Is this true? Just like that, you can't buy time on TBN. You understand that? But that's how it works. You just meander you around, and Barry just pops in. You go, okay. See, you can't plan those things, can you? The wind blows wherever it wants to. Our deal is just setting the sail to ride. Yeah. But if we got just our pole up and go, well, I'm going to watch to see where this is going, you won't go nowhere. You'll be stuck in harbor all the time. So today, raise your sail. Say, God. I may not understand this, but where the wind blows, that's where I want to go. I want to go here. See, don't you want that? Yeah. See, staying on the safe side won't get it done. You have to abandon fear and go, God, whatever you're for, I'm for. You believe that? Well, we got to go. Adios, amigos.